I'm Carrie Ann. And I'm Allison, and this is Podcast Without an Audience. Where two friends pick two topics and find intersections. Or not. How are you? I am doing good. I am. Oh, you asked me first. That threw me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's rare. Typically you jump in immediately. Yeah, I'm like, how are you? <laughs> Um, no, I'm good. We're recording on a Sunday, which is my favorite day to record because I have time to do my notes Beforehand. this morning. Yeah. <laughs> um, and just a little spoiler, I did go off the rails a little bit this week because I found out what you were covering. And so I did coordinate my topic with yours today. So you'll have to wait to feel to see what it is. But they do. <laughs> intersection is a little bit more than uh, normal. Okay, well, I appreciate that disclaimer. Yeah. It won't happen again, I'm sure. However, it's fun. It's, it's fun. Good. Right? I think it's a nice change of pace. And I'm really glad, actually, because I was, I'm was, i super excited about my topic this week, but I had no idea how I was going to tie it to anything that you could potentially cover. So well, problem that solved. makes you feel better. Yeah. Boom, clap. What's going on with you? I found out that Demi Lovato came out this week as being non-binary. Yes, they did. And love I it. am so proud of them. Love it, love it, love it. Yeah. First of all, obsessed. All like, oh. Five sure. Lord have mercy. I know. Gorgeous, incredible, talented. So talented. Definitely seen them in concert. Um, yeah. Oh, and you I was did. the only person who was unironically there who was older than 20. <laughs> um, this was several years ago. Mm-hmm. Oh Damn. my gosh. When was that? It was a long time ago. You have all these cool, like, concert stories because you lived in dc for so long and and i really love concerts like i will travel for a concert yeah oh i miss it yeah i miss it oh (laughs) i just want everything to be normal yeah we're getting back to concerts i just bought my first concert ticket for 2021 and i'm a little nervous about it okay i'm also like i'm fully vaccinated i'll probably still wear a mask and go Mm mm-hmm but I'm super, super excited. Is it indoors? It is not. It's um, all outdoors. All outdoors. Perfect. Yeah. So, well, you know, it's fine. Baby steps. Yeah. Yeah. Getting out there. I'm feeling good. Good. Yeah. I would feel, I feel fine. We're okay. We're having a hot girl summer, whatever everybody <laughs> else is saying. Whatever them young, the youths are saying right. these days. Uh, hot girl summer. I mean, I'm gonna be hot. Like, I get sweaty very easily. I'm also, like, I read something recently about how when you look out in nature, you never critique nature. Like, it's just beautiful. No matter how large or small or awkwardly shaped something is, it's just beautiful because it's nature. And we are connected to nature. And therefore, we are beautiful. So I'm having oh. a hot girl summer, regardless of how much I've worked out. I'm giving myself all the liberties to just appreciate who yes. I am and where I'm at. Oh, yeah. Let's love ourselves. What a crazy concept. Let's do it. Let's build each other up. <laughs> Let's feel great about ourselves. Feel great about our bodies. Let's spread positivity. All the time. And have a good day. Yeah. And we're done. That was our whole podcast. Mm-hmm. Feel good about yourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, which is so much easier said than done. Like, oh yeah, it's a work in progress every day. You know, but I appreciate people who spread positivity as opposed to negativity. And I also really appreciate people who don't put others down for trying. You know, yeah. putting yourself out there is so crucial to growth in general. Oh, absolutely. Um, and and it's scary and and intimidating sometimes to try new things but i say nike just fucking do it just fucking do it i also have been reading about like genuine positivity versus toxic positivity and also like why people sometimes shy away from positive people Mm. because it can be intimidating or overwhelming yeah so i think there are a lot of other things to talk about when it comes to positivity but i would be interested to hear that as a topic because like what people put out on social media and like externally is often very different than you know what we're actually living every day yeah but you know what is considered to be intimidating what's considered to be normal quote-unquote normal Mm -hmm. um i don't know because 
It does make other people feel like shit to see other people do well, which is an interesting Well, thought. and currently we're recording this. It's May, um, which is Mental Health Awareness Month. Yes, it is. And I think it's something that I've been trying to highlight on my personal Instagram story. Mm-hmm. I know we're doing it on the pod Instagram as well. Like, we are not here to just spread joy all the time. We're here to talk about real things and know that, you know... Not every day is a great day, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. We're here to meet you where you're at, wherever you are. And wherever we are, because we're not oh. going to be at our best every single fucking day. Lord, have mercy. <laughs> I said that twice. No, Lord, have mercy? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a southern belle. My grandmother says, Lord, have mercy. Your grandmother. <laughs> she also doesn't cuss, so she uses the word blame all the time. So, like, oh. something will fall down and, well, that picture fell off the blame wall. No, she does not. She absolutely does. Shower curtain fell down. The blame shower curtain. Oh, wow. That's yep. like cussing. Oh, that's how you cuss in Southern. Oh, well, good to know. Yep. Thank you, honey. When you can't bless its heart because it, it's oh. an inanimate object, you got to say the blame. The blame. Yep. To blame. Cool. Yep. You so ready? Get I into am. Our Let's topics. get into it. Yeah. I'm super stoked. So I don't get to like be excited about your topic, but I'm <laughs> super stoked about it. I think at some point I'm going to have to sneak a peek at yours so that I can experience the same joy that you're currently feeling. Every once in a while, I think it's healthy to, to cheat. I agree. Is that a thing? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, we can't be good all the time. No, we cannot. But yeah. we will try. <laughs> All right, what you got? All right, so so today's topic, I am looking at fortune telling. Yes. Fact or fiction. Fact or fiction. Or both. Or neither. Or not. <laughs> or not. <laughs> so do you remember the first time you ever had your fortune told? Yeah. You do? What was it like? Oh, well, it was, it was uh, you know, exciting. And boo, what am I going to find out? Yeah. There was, um, so we, we're lucky. Like, we live in a town where you there's multiple places you could go. Um, my first one that I mem- remember, like, in detail actually ended up being the best one I've ever had. I remember you telling me about that. Yeah. Like, that was early in our friendship, too. Yes. So I had a tarot card reading. Mm-hmm. that predicted the end of one relationship, beginning and demise of another. Yeah, yeah. That like was pretty much to the T. I also love that you and I went to a tarot card reading together several years ago, and the woman gave us the exact same exact reading. Exact same reading. It was So we went in and <laughs> recorded it because, you know, you get consent. You say, yeah. hey, do you mind if I record this so that I can, you know, listen back in later? Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, I mean, I don't even remember exactly what she said, but we, we kind of sat in the car kind of like debriefing afterwards. And I was like, I don't think she realized that we came together because except, otherwise she wouldn't have given us the same. Yeah, except that we went back to back and both asked her if we could record. So I don't know how she missed it other than maybe everybody has caught on to this. You can ask them about recording the tarot card reading. I don't know. It's hard to say. Who's to say? Okay, so I was thinking about some of my favorite forms of fortune telling mm-hmm. and kind of what they all have in common. But basically, fortune telling has been around for most of recorded history. It's the practice of predicting information about a person's life. Mm-hmm. Often with religious rituals, it involves evoking spirits or deities and may also be called divination. Mm-hmm. So here are a few of my favorites. Uh, numerology. Oh, yeah. It's on the rise. Uh, Tarot card reading, which we just talked about. Palm reading or palmistry. Uh, Runes. Have you ever had your runes read? No, I don't even know what that is. So runes are like the little, they're often rocks or like uh, pebbles that have things um, on them. mm -hmm. Like little design. they're called runes Mm -hmm. written on them. Uh, Also dream interpretation, tea leaves, crystal balls, um, a really interesting one that I don't know how to pronounce because, again, I never look up how to pronounce anything in this <laughs> podcast is harosuspitation. Cool. Got it. Uh, which involves cutting open a recently butchered animal, pulling its insides into the ground, and seeing if the bloody entrails form symbols that can be interpreted. So, have you seen Stardust? 
I have not. It is one of the best movies that I have ever seen in my entire life. We should cover it for cult. Okay. Um, but that's how um, three three wist wisters three sisters are witches. Ooh. And um, that's how they determine like who's going to go on this journey to find the star. The and the animals actually come come back to play a different role later. But Ooh, I love that's that. how that's their preferred method of I guess of fortune telling telling the future. Yeah. So, Fortune and future telling, are those the same thing? We're going to talk about it a little bit. Okay. Um, because the very first topic I'm going to cover is future telling, oh. which is also pretty closely related to fortune telling. Okay. Um, oh, so, yes. so interesting. I know. I am super excited. The very first thing we have to talk about is cognitive distortion. So this is when the brain is predisposed to making connections between thoughts, ideas, actions, and consequences, whether they're connected or not. Uh, This tendency leads to the assumption that because two variables are correlated, one causes or leads to the other, which is not always the case. So for example, Mm -hmm. like thinking that, um, say you've applied to the job, and then something happens in your life that you feel like is a symbol that you're not going to get the job and then you don't get the job right is not is cognitive distortion so it's you reading meaning into something that you think has an outcome on something else Mm. which is where the the saying correlation does not lead to or does not equal causation Mm -hmm. is a thing you may have heard before yes Um, Cognitive distortions are biased perspectives that we take on ourselves and the world around us. They're irrational thoughts or beliefs that we unknowingly reinforce over time. Mm. This particularly comes into play with mind reading and future telling, which are both forms of fortune telling. Mind reading and future tellings are both forms of fortune telling. telling. Yep. Okay. Say that five times fast. (laughs) I will not. (laughs) Basically, believing that you know what someone is thinking or what someone feels without external confirmation that the assumption is true is mind reading. Mm -hmm. And fortune telling is a cognitive distortion in which you predict a negative outcome without realistically considering the odds of that outcome. Cognitive distortion is often linked to anxiety or depression, which we'll talk a little bit more about too. When I interviewed for my job, my supervisor asked me if I could have one superpower, what would it be? Mm. To fly, obviously. Well, for sure. Except I already do that. So. Oh, well, okay. (laughs) Lacking some creativity, I said the gift of foresight because I wanted to be able to predict how and when things would happen, especially as it related to the role I was interviewing for. So I wanted to be able to predict disruptions um, for kids in foster care or traumatic events that they might experience. And my supervisor told me that if I work in the field long enough, I do develop a sixth sense for predicting the future. And it's true. Like, I can pretty accurately convince, or predict whether or not, you know, a placement's going to work out or how a kid is doing, mm-hmm. how families will respond to certain information, etc. So generally speaking, I don't have great foresight. But in this role, it's really... You know, right? Things you're good at. You put your ten thousand hours in exactly, and it becomes second nature. Understandable. Yeah. So everyone develops this to an extent, like because of your past experiences, you develop a little bit of like this future seeing idea. Mm-hmm. You can pretty accurately predict how something is going to play out based on how it's played out before, or you know your other lived experiences. Sure. So most people develop some level of fortune telling, mm-hmm. right? Like especially if you're paying attention. Personally, I think that some people may be more sensitive or in tune than others. The obvious issue here is that you just can't test it. Like Mm -hmm. once, you know, you've made this prediction, the outcome is going to be whatever the outcome is. Mm -hmm. But there's no way to quantify or qualify the data. That's true. But, you know, we all do get like those gut feelings. Mm -hmm. So it goes back to like what we talked about in the episode we recorded recently about being being picked out of a crowd for a magic show it's like that anxiety you feel (laughs) when you feel like you're going to be chosen and you just know and then sometimes it's not and then that anxiety has like risen and then fallen and you're like okay everything's safe i'm good it's like popcorn reading in class you're like jesus do not call on me amen (laughs) 
But and, and the harder you wish that they don't call on you, the more they're going to call on you, right. and you think that you've convinced them to call on you, and then you validated in your mind that you basically willed it to happen, or you knew in your heart of hearts it would happen. Yeah, which kind of feels like the law of attraction. The more thought you give to something, the more likely mm. it is to come true. Well, they say you know you put it out in the world, you know you don't put out the negativity, right? You know. Except a lot of this is also negativity. Like, we predict that bad things are going to happen because we're all afraid to actually feel joy. Because as soon as you feel joy, you start waiting for something bad to happen. Thank you, Brene Brown. (laughs) Um, Who gives the example of, like, when you're watching a movie. Mm -hmm. Have you ever watched a movie and everyone seems really happy? Like, they're all in a car ride together. and Oh, and you're just waiting for And you're waiting for the truck to come out of nowhere and kill everybody, right? Like, that's because that's what we've been conditioned to experience when we experience joy is that immediately something bad is going to happen. Also, to be fair, they set up those shots really similarly because it's very formulaic. So we are literally conditioned to expect it. Yeah, exactly. And that's cognitive distortion. (gasps) Whoa. Yeah. Real life examples. (laughs) Um, What's another example we could think of? Oh, good question. I was not prepared. I think the fortune or the being called on at a show is a good example. The joy. Can it also just be like knowing that like a presidential election, you like convince yourself one way or the other that's yeah. a, that so-and-so is going to win? Oh, in 2020, I was terrified. Like I was trying to convince myself that we were going to lose because I didn't want to get my hopes up. Sure. Yeah. I think it's also... Yeah, let's let's leave it. I was about to make a comment about like the person you like texting you back, but that seems really vulnerable. So, but I think that that's well, also a so thing. It could also go back to like we accept the love we think we deserve. Yeah. Anybody read Perks of Being a Wallflower? For sure, so, five times at you least. You know, you convince yourself. So here's what I've noticed in relationships. This is getting off topic, but I'm going <laughs> to say it anyway. Small aside. People convince themselves that they're unlovable. And so when people, when relationships don't work out, it reinforces that aspect. And so it's then a vicious cycle. And then around and around we go. Yeah. And I'm going to say that that absolutely lines up with cognitive distortion as it may not connect with fortune telling Mm -hmm. or it may. Like if you are pretty convinced that a relationship is not going to work out, Mm -hmm. then you are predicting the future and it's also not going to work out because you've now convinced yourself that it's not going to work out. Right. So all of those things. All of them. So back to fortune telling. Fortune telling is an art at absolute best. Like it's not a science. We can predict patterns, but ultimately it's just getting really good at predicting those patterns. So even including like tarot reading, which is like... We'll get to tarot reading in a minute. Okay. So this is literally just like crystal ball. Like I'm going to... Okay. This is crystal ball. This is also like your intuition um, mm-hmm. and, you know, mind reading to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Have you, oh, I know a good example. Have you ever thought of somebody? And so a friend always used to tell me that if you think of somebody, you need to call them because something is probably actually going on. Hmm. Have you ever experienced that? No, but it's like when sometimes you have a dream and like yeah. somebody random, you're like, oh, hey, so-and-so from college I haven't seen in 10 years. And, and then, then you're like, maybe I should reach out because exactly. that's weird. Well, and usually there's something going on and they are also thinking about you, which is oh. also really interesting. Well, you hear like w- when your ears are burning, somebody's talking about you. Yeah. Yeah. So all of those things could be, I guess, associated with this. And maybe part of mind reading, too. Like, if you are thinking about somebody else, you need to reach out to them Mm -hmm. is just a good rule to live by. But also, it's freaky how how often I reach out to somebody. I'm like, hey, I was just thinking about you. Mm -hmm. And they were like, oh, my God, I was just thinking Mm -hmm. about you, too. Wow. Um, Which has happened to me, like, two or three times recently. It's also a good way to make sure that you call your parents. If your parents are telling you that, and they're like, every time you think of me, you should call me. Yeah, that's fair. How this all ties into psychology is that according to Cognitive Behavioral Therapy LA and their research, there may be a link between fortune telling, cognitive distortion, and anxiety and depression. Hmm. Often, fortune telling implies a negative outcome. Like, I think it's that joy that 
you know means something bad is about to happen. So we want to know when the next bad thing is going to happen. Like, think Professor Trelawney seeing the black dog and Harry Potter's tea leaves, which, of course, predicted death because everything she did predicted death. That's true. Um, And for me personally, every magic eight ball I could ever get my hands on as a kid, I wanted to know if I would ever find my soulmate and if I would die by the time I was 30. The answers were almost always no and yes, respectively. Hmm. At least we know at least one of those things is yeah, true. Yeah, you 30. Because I'm now 30 and still very much alive. Yes. Amen. Uh, but the anxiety is still there, right? Like, we go to tarot card readings or fortune tellers, and we have them help us predict what is coming so that we can prepare for it. Mm-hmm. Predicting the future becomes cognitive distortion when we assume that events will end badly for us and that we will fail at something or that we will be in danger. And it's more of an assumption than an actual educated guess. So that's the difference between mm, there's not the data the to back it up. Right. Gotcha. Exactly. Yeah. So there are some different ways to think about fortune telling when you recognize that this might be going on for you. Mm-hmm. First, you can ask yourself, what's the evidence for or against your prediction? Mm-hmm. So if you start thinking about something and you are maybe feeling anxious about it, like what evidence do you have to back it up? Second, examine the function of your worry. Like, is your worry helping you and protecting you from something potentially dangerous? Or is it something that you've built up in your mind? Mm -hmm. And then think of whatever outcome you're thinking of. Is it plausible versus possible? Would Mm -hmm. be a good way to, like, mitigate some of that anxiety. Mm. Mm -hmm. If that all makes sense. And a lot of this is less about being a fortune teller like where you go and have your palm read and it's more about fortune telling in your own life. Mm-hmm. So feeling like you might have some psychic abilities and maybe you do have a really great instinct for things. But um, if it's causing you anxiety, like just think of some of those questions. So part two of fortune telling, um, there's another type of fortune telling that relies on the Barnum effect, which is also called the Forer effect. Mm, Barnum and Bailey. Exactly. It's a phenomenon whereby individuals give high-accuracy, tailored predictions that are still vague enough that could apply to a wide range of people. Mm. The term Barnum effect was coined by psychologist Paul Meal in his essay, Wanted, a Good Cookbook. And he named it after the famous showman... (gasps) The greatest showman. P.T. Barnum. Zac Efron. (laughs) Same thing. Who was also a firstborn... Right. (laughs) We know that now. Uh, Uh, Who used to do a similar psychological test. This might include astrology, fortune tellers, aura readings, and often personality tests. So what he would do is he would make statements called Barnum statements that resulted in, quote, the acceptance phenomenon, which is just the nature of humans, or subjective validation, which is when two unrelated events are perceived to be related. So, like, think about your horoscope and trying to connect the contents to you and your perception of reality or your personality. Sure. Yeah. So, are we getting to uh, tarot cards yet? Real close. Okay. Yep. I'll be patient. In 1948, Bertram Ford gave a psychology test to 39 psychology students. Then a week later gave each student a list of attributes that he said was tailored specifically to them. However, Mm. plot twist, he gave them all the same results. Ah. On a scale of 0 to 5, the students rated the accuracy of their results as a 4.3. So he gave everybody the same results of this personality test, and they all thought they were pretty accurate. Pretty accurate. Yeah. Oh. What does that say about how we perceive ourselves? I'm also interested in how we perceive ourselves versus how other people perceive us. I'm super fascinated by that, too. Mm -hmm. Um, And a great question, because I really don't think that there's a good way to measure that. Well, think about 360 reviews. Those are the best because you're being reviewed by your peers as well as your supervisors, and then you self-evaluate yourself. Yeah, but that's also only in... A work environment like that's not in your personal life and well i could send you a friendship review that would be fantastic Ugh, what a terrible thing you get an email <laughs> i also feel like it would be really great feedback like how do i come off to other people i don't actually know 
twist, you only send it to one person. Oh. So then you know exactly the the feed the data feedback and where it's specifically coming from. Twist mm. again, send it only to a person you have a crush on there to go. see and be like, this is for everybody, but really it's mm-hmm. just for them. And then they're so attracted to you because you're sending them a 360 review <laughs> on yourself <laughs> that you live happily ever after and you accept the love you deserve. Amen. Amen. I feel God in this Chili's tonight. This is, a, we've been saying amen and we have been saying a lot. I feel like I've said amen a lot today and I'm really not sure why. Because it's Sunday. It's the Lord's Day. Amen. <laughs> That's exactly it. So, of course, other people have recreated this study and found that the results are similar in many cultures and locations. Basically, they found that subjects give higher accuracy rates if the following are true. One, the subject believes that the analysis applies only to him or her and thus applies his or her own meaning to the statements. Two, the subject believes in the authority of the evaluator. And three, the analysis lists mostly positive traits. Right. Which makes sense. They're not going to be like, boring, (laughs) terrible with money. Exactly. Everyone hates you. I mean, that's my anxiety speaking. That's not the actual results. No, it's not. But my anxiety tells me that those are going to be the results every stinking time. So now we're going to talk about assigning meaning. And this is where tarot cards come in. Mm-hmm. So, All right, I'm ready. Okay. I'm ready for the tarot. I love tarot cards and astrology. Um, I was recently given a tea leaf reading cup, mm. which is really, really cool. I've only tried to use it like once, and I don't think I did it right. I should have read the instruction manual rather than just skipping to the yeah. way to interpret it. <laughs> what I find so interesting about the phenomenon of fortune telling and the psychology behind it all is that it's mostly harmless, especially if you're seeking positive fortunes. There definitely seems to be some confirmational bias going on or even a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like, do I have Pisces traits because I'm a Pisces or because I know common Pisces traits and I apply them to myself, Mm -hmm. you know? Potato, potato. Exactly. And if I saw the traits that weren't labeled as being Piscean, would I still attribute them to myself? So this category of fortune telling kind of overlaps with cognitive distortion and the Barnum effect because it relies heavily on assigning meaning to things. For example, tarot cards and oracle card readings don't have to be used to predict um, (laughs) oracle oracle (laughs) it sounds like a birth call oracle (laughs) oracle Okay, are you going to do that for the rest of the episode? probably so, like, if you're thinking about something like work or love or relationships and you're doing a reading, you're not really looking for a yes or no answer as much as you're learning. You're looking to learn something more. It's like validation. Like, yeah. I don't want to know, you know, where, you know, X, Y, and Z. I just want you to tell me everything's going to be okay. Exactly. You know, I don't need an answer to my problem. Right. Just, just. Tell me life is good. Yeah. Give me some hope. Mm -hmm. That's all I want. Yeah. Um, I really find tarot cards and oracle cards to be good journaling tools. Like if you Mm -hmm. pull a tarot card or an oracle card, I'm now stuck on oracle. Oracle. (laughs) An oracle. So so do you remember on our first, the night that we decided to do a podcast, we Mm -hmm. each pulled a card. We, we each did. pulled a, a, a tarot card. And I got the world. And I think I got the sun, right? No, you got the fool. So I don't remember what that means, but we did that. <laughs> so the fool is new beginnings. It's the very first card in the major arcana. Um, oh. <laughs> cool. I know some things. Cool, cool. And I think the world is maybe the last card, or it's oh, near little bookends. Yeah, but I mean, I remember that it predicted that we were going to be super successful and oh. have all these Patreons mm. specifically. This is also important when we start thinking about crystals or rocks and their meaning. Uh. Um, some people deeply believe that crystals have energy that physically impacts our energy, and I'm not going to give you my opinion on that. Um, what I will point out is that if I have a rock in my pocket mm-hmm. or bra, where Which it most, most likely, likely is, <laughs> um, I currently have one in mm-hmm. here. It's lovely. Mm-hmm. And what I read, uh, this one is an ocean Jasper. Oh, oh, sweet baby. Yeah. 
And I read that it's supposed to help with confidence or joy or, you know, removing negative energy. Or calming. I have exactly. a ton of yeah. stones in my office for just to kind of neutralize the energy. Yeah. I have one. It's called a Cobra Jasper or a Cobra something. And it's supposed to be like the therapist stone. Hmm. Um, and I don't remember much beyond that other than it's supposed to help. Like if you are encountering other people's energies all day long. Oh, can I get um, one of those? Yeah, sure. I'll, <laughs> I'll send you one. Um, but when you see the stone or you think about it or even you feel it in your bra or pocket, it reminds you of whatever the meaning of that stone is. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So you're honing in. So yeah. are you ruining stones for me? No. No, I'm actually, it's kind of like tying a red string around your finger when you have something you want to remember. Mm-hmm. And you look down, you see that red string, and you remember the thing you have to remember. Mm-hmm. Which I think is why stones actually work. It's because we know that they're supposed to be calming, or, like, we've assigned calming as the meaning of that stone. So mm-hmm. when we look at it, we're like, oh, I'm supposed to be calm. Yeah. So it's still a cognitive thing that's happening. Sure. It's just a really positive thing, typically. And there are spiritual beliefs surrounding all of these things that we're discussing today. Oh, so there's absolutely. often, like, deeper meanings associated to all of this. Yeah, for sure. I think our brains are just so cool in the way that, like, even if I don't remember the exact meaning for... Whatever it is, whether it's a stone or a tarot card, like just knowing that it's supposed to be something positive can actually make me feel better. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so someone else called this a Jungian psychological apparatus capable of tapping into, quote, the absolute knowledge of the unconscious, end okay. quote. Okay. Um, and basically what I think that that means is that we are connecting with a subconscious piece of ourselves whenever we assign meaning to something and then engage with it frequently. Mm. So so this is going back to confirmation bias. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, from a sociological perspective, there are a lot of different ways, to your point earlier, that cultures use fortune telling. Palm reading dates back to ancient Greece and has been linked to Pythagoras, Julius Caesar, and our guy... Hippocrates! 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 I really hate that we didn't consider how often he would come up in this podcast. Oh my god, I had no idea. I know, me either. When I visited Japan in 2016, I went with our former exchange student, who I often call my sister, to a shrine that had a box of numbered sticks... Mm-hmm. And you, like, pull this piece of paper to connect to you to a drawer that had... A correlating... Yeah. Uh, or you pull a stick that correlates to a drawer that you pull out that then has a piece of paper in it. And in a lot of these, there's no guarantee that the fortune will be good. So if you're in Japan and you're visiting a shrine and this happens to be something that you want to experience and you get a bad fortune... What you do is you leave it tied to a pole or a tree at the temple where mm-hmm. you're currently at so that you leave that fortune behind. Hmm. Um, so I know that I kept my fortune from when we went to a shrine in Japan. Mm-hmm. However, I couldn't find it before <gasps> our uh, no. recording today. So well, I'm going to have to go back and look at it. And do you then remember maybe, what it was? I don't. I remember it was positive because mm-hmm. I didn't want to keep a negative fortune. Um, right. It's like, you're going to be great. Yeah. You're going to do great. Ultimately, I'll be fine. Right. Was essentially, I it guess, says, the meaning. you'll be fine. <laughs> Period. Period. The end. Um, <laughs> but if I can find it, we'll post a picture to the gram. See, I want fortunes, like, the only, like, I think of fortune cookies that I receive on the most, you know, because I eat a lot of Chinese food. Ooh, that's what we should be having for dinner. That is a good idea. Yeah. Let's do that. Okay, continue. But they're always, you know, sometimes they relate. I've kept a few over the years. Yeah. I think we should create regular fortune cookies that are like, you need to wash your face more. Oh. Or like, you know, wear I a fucking really mask. Lo- I think that that's a great idea. Um, maybe rather than fortune cookies, we could just post on our Instagram occasionally mm-hmm. be like, Yo, um, I don't know who needs to hear this, but right, we've read your mind mm-hmm. and we think you need to wash your face or right. brush your teeth or take care <laughs> of yourself. Engage in self-care, folks. Engage in self-care. <laughs> because Amen. life is hard. Life is hard. And it's hard for us, too. And we all need that reminder. Wear sunscreen. 
Oh, that's a good one. That's a really good one. That's also, important. Also, once you hit 30, like just, or even younger, wear sunscreen every day. Every day. You need to wear it every day. Yeah. I have 100 SPF in my bathroom, and it goes on my face every day. Well, you burn more than any person I know. Like, well, you drive oh, and you get sunburned. The when beach we went trip? to the beach. So, just, I decided I was going to walk from where we were to meet somebody, you know, I think they were a mile down the beach. Yep. So my ass walks with the sun facing my back for probably 45 minutes. I have never seen a person as burnt as you were that day. I have never experienced anything like that in my life. Like weeks afterwards, peeling so uncomfortable. Like I've heard like, what is it? The devil's, is it the devil's kiss they call it? I've never heard that before. Something, something about the I devil. believe you. I I got it. Like I understand now. Like what the hell they're talking about? Because there is no pain like a sunburn. It's true. It is like, everything hurts. Oh my god. Yeah. Horrible. And it's also not enough where other people actually understand or like sympathize feel. at all. <laughs> yeah. I it's felt just like, like oh well, sunburns suck. No, this in, is awful in the episode of friends when ross only t- like gets a spray tan <laughs> on half of his body that's what i was like but it was permanent yeah oh no it was really pitiful it was really bad speaking of mind reading i feel like you and i do such a great job of finishing up each other's sentences and predicting what the other one's about to say or currently thinking there we, we go are fortune tellers fortune tellers right um, up in here this is also a thing that happens when you've known someone for 10 years yep oh yeah Last little thing about culture, because it's also really important. I've seen a lot of discussion about tarot cards being a closed practice for the Romani people. However, from my understanding, using tarot cards as a source of fortune telling has been traced back to various cultures and in of itself is not a closed practice, but they are often part of closed practices. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for making that differentiation because I think, you know, people want to be respectful of other cultures religious practices so absolutely i mean if anyone out there has research to the contrary let me know because i'd love to read it but in the research i did Mm -hmm. that's basically what i found is it's part of some of their closed practices but i mean tarot cards as a tarot card is not a closed practice right so basically we want all the answers we were raised with magic eight balls and we bought into it hook line and sinker and now we can't stop fortune telling can't stop won't stop very cool thank you so now that i know that you actually snuck a peek at my notes for this week and therefore knew what i was doing so i do want to be clear i don't think that these are like related specifically but we will get into some some little little treatsies that definitely intersect i love a little treatsy I'm going to be talking about the trials of the Pendle witches. <gasps> witches and fortune telling? Yes. Oh, this is going to be so much fun. Yes. So this all takes place around Pendle Hill in Lancashire. I can't say it. It's like Worcestershire. I cannot say it. <laughs> England. It's in England. Love it. And I got the majority of my research from a documentary called The Trials of the Pendle Witches, which you can find on YouTube. So we're going to be talking, our main character is Janet, and she's nine years old. Damn it, Janet. Damn it, Janet. She would have been otherwise forgotten out of history had it not been for the narrative that we are going to be discussing here shortly. So Lancashire was described as a dark, as a really dark corner of England at the time. Nobody was like... Let's get an Airbnb and like. <laughs> I mean, sixteen twelve is pre-electricity, right? So it would have all been dark corners. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong, um, but it was said to be full of troublemakers. Okay, so it's where we would have lived. And right. Well, my next sentence is today. It's similar to Salem, which is absolutely where we would live if we had our. In the sense that it capitalizes on the events that took place there. Yeah. And it is kind of known, you know. Well known. Yeah, they're they're cashing in on on the shit they did. Mm -hmm. You know what you did. Tell them what you did. I know what you did last summer. So in 1612, little Janet lived with her grandmother on the outskirts of town in a place called Mulkin Tower. 
the word Malkin actually was like a 17th century word for shit. <laughs> so it was so, shit tower. Shit tower, right. Um, Janet and her family survived by begging and kind of doing odd jobs around town. There was also another form of income that the family did have, and that was that Janet's grandmother was also known as a, quote, cunning woman. Like the cunning, like from uh, Sabrina, the teen... The New Adventures or Chilling yeah. Adventures of Sabrina? Possibly. You tell me because I've never seen it. How so, have you never seen The Chilling Adventures? I don't know. Okay. I we got to get you caught rock. up. No, this is Patrick. So I also, my, I always just say like whatever comes to my mind. And if I think something, I just say it. <laughs> so this is a witchcraft adjacent role. So basically it's like a medicine woman. She's doing some healing. Maybe not quite sure how she's actually doing it. I think she's also a fortune teller. Isn't that part of being cunning? Is being a fortune oh, teller? I've never thought about it. That wasn't specifically in the research, but... It is in The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Okay. So I'm assuming that there's a fortune telling component to this. Okay, well, also, very cool. witchcraft in general seems to have a strong yeah. fortune telling. They're like, listen, we, we, we know what's happening. Intersections. Mm-hmm. So she could heal somebody or harm somebody using, you know, the charms that she knows, her charms. To them, it wasn't obscure at the time. It was like a very real job. It was, Mm -hmm. even though the family was kind of an outcast uh, family, that did not stop them from using her resources. So Janet did live with her grandmother, uh, but her mother's name was Elizabeth. And she did have two siblings named Allison and James. Allison, are you a time traveler? No, but it's a beautiful name. It is a beautiful name. So there weren't any adult men that lived there. Um, Elizabeth's husband had died years earlier, and it was common knowledge in the home that Janet was not his biological daughter. Okay. Okay. So the neighbor was a kind of a rival cunning woman. So the relationship between them was a little bit strained. Um, Elizabeth's late husband was making payments to this neighbor woman for years and years and years for some type of service probably that she had done. It's unclear. Um, but he was paying her an oatmeal, which is what I have for breakfast every Savory single day of my life. Or Savory sweet. oatmeal, <laughs> a pinch of cheese, an egg on top. Um, but the year that he stopped making payments to her, he died. So coincidence, who's causation. To say? Yeah. Who's to say? So at the time there was a lot of, you know, Catholicism, a lot, everybody, everything was very religious at the time. So what they were doing was very hush hush. They kind of had to be on the sly, even though everybody definitely knew like what was going on. Mm-hmm. And they did seem to coexist in the community. So are we thinking that she poisoned him? Are we thinking that he just coincidentally died? He just died. She could have cursed him. It's unclear at this time. Okay. Yeah. You know, Catholicism was growing and there was kind of like um, uh, a sense of, of fear. Witchcraft was obviously a predominant diagnosis at the time. Right. Um, so fear was kind of building in the community um, and the climate of, of fear was definitely growing. So in 1612, Allison was out in a boot and a boot. Out in a boot. Out in a boot. And she met a man on the road. She did ask him for money and he completely ignored her. Uh, so she cursed him. Like, not cut, throwing cuss words, but like. Right. Which, like, yes. Witchly in a manner. Correct. Cursed him. And he immediately fell to the ground and could not move. So he was brought to an inn close by. Allison followed. How old was Allison at this point? Have you said? No, but she was young. She's like 10. Oh, okay. Poor little baby. No, how she, traumatic. She's under 15. I'm, I'm not quite sure. That's fine. Uh, but how traumatic for a kid who's, I mean, don't curse people, but also to feel responsible for someone. Yeah. And we'll kind of cross that bridge in a second. But yeah. So it. I'm going to talk about his symptoms. His symptoms are that half of his face became limp and the left side of his body became like completely immobile. Mm -hmm. So some might say that that would be signs of a stroke, a stroke. Exactly. But Allison really genuine, genuinely believed that she had done it. So like you were saying, the guilt is like creeping in. 
So the man, the man's son reported all of this to a man named Roger Knoll, and he was the magistrate of the community. Basically like the law keeper. So at so the time... He went to the cops. Yeah. <laughs> Turn him in. And it is said that Roger kind of took this opportunity to make a step forward in his career. He was going to make an example out of her. He was going to save the day. You know, he's hearing of other communities around the world that are experiencing witchcraft. It is now at the door. It is now in his community. So he's going to be a dick about it. He's D-bad for sure. But he interviewed Allison and she confessed confessed to the to the crime of course she did she's feeling guilty she's feeling guilty but she also gave up her neighbor and stated that she had killed four people oh allison and said that the neighbor had made been making like these clay figures of people and of course that was alarming to the uh police people kind of a witch hunt then ensued um, so Janet's um, the sister, youngest. yeah, Janet is the youngest. Her older sister, who was committed committed this quote unquote crime, as well as her grandmother, are all and the neighbor. They're all arrested. They're all taken in. So one year before this, the King James Bible was published, and it has some interesting topics, which we will discuss now. Okay, it states, "Thou shall not suffer a witch to live." So James I, which was one of the sponsors of the King James Bible, he had a reputation for basically being a witch hunter and participated in witch trials in North Berwick. He believes that he believes that witches, witches were trying to kill him himself, and even that they tried to sink his boat one time when he, he was returning from his honeymoon. It seems like he's got a little paranoia. It is possible. Well, cognitive distortion. He also wrote a book called Demonology. Have you heard of it? I've heard of it, but I don't know that I knew that he wrote it. Yes. So basically, it's about hell and like what to do about it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So it's a really easy read and it was really well circul- circulated at the time. Um, but it's basically like a mandate to the British people to hunt witches. It's like you Have should you read hunt witches. Not in its entirety. I did read excerpts from it. I mean, it's it's not the easiest read now, right? Nowadays, but at the time, it at the time, been. you know, it's like a little leaflet. You know, you can kind of get through it. Yeah, but it states that witchcraft was treason. Okay, so that's a serious charge, um, not only for the country itself, the British government, but for God in general. It insinuates that all of those witches that are pure, including children, should be allowed to testify at a witch trial so it has a lot of these different rules and regulations a lot of people use this uh quote book or this document to uh justify a lot of the or use it as a reference on how do you tell who's a witch how do you know what to do about it right so remember that seven years prior to that guy fox had attempted to blow up parliament He was a Catholic, quote, radical, and it fed the flame of doubt and religious untrust for James and for just the the political climate at the time. Right. I, so I've heard of Guy Fawkes Day. Yeah. um, Where they do the bonfires, right? Like, that's the thing for Guy Fawkes Day, isn't it? Or fireworks. Or fireworks. Mm -hmm. We should cover that at some point. I'd be, because I don't know anything about him. Like, this is the only other reference to him I've ever heard. He tried to blow up Parliament. Yep. That's all I got for him. Yep. So, in March of 1612, in Lancashire, there was an act that came about that required the Catholic Church to report who and who didn't come to Mass every Sunday. Um, Well, color me a heathen. Yeah. So, on Good Friday in 1612, Janet's mother thought it would be a good idea to have a party that day. Um, Sounds like a good good day as any. And they even stole a sheep for the occasion. Remember, like, some of the other people are in prison, but she is not. Um, But speculation grew about, like, what the meeting was about. Who was there? Um, Is it a gathering of witches? Is it an Easter party? Well, if you're going to skip mass on Good Friday, maybe don't steal a sheep. You know, you're not wrong. I feel like that's a good rule to live by. If you're going to skip mass and you know attendance is being taken. Right. Don't steal a sheep. Right. Yeah. Like, maybe pretend to have the flu. 
So the law enforcement shows up to the house, busting the party. And it is said that what they found was that the people there were plotting to blow up the Lancashire Castle, which is where the family is being held in prison. And like to murder the jailer. And there's like a whole conspiracy theory happening. Yeah, yeah. So everyone present was arrested. And they also gave out the names of the other people who had been there earlier, but left. I'm really confused by this culture. It's like, let me tell you all the things. <laughs> well, and we don't know how, how they got that information out of them. That was That's not a part, true. you know, and, it's on time. And also, I know that plea deals are still a thing. Like, if you, sure. you know, tell. But they were all arrested. So there was eight people in total that were sent to join the group in jail. Yikes. What's interesting was that Janet was present the day in the home on Easter, but she wasn't taken in with the others. Well, she's a baby. She's a baby. I should hope she doesn't get put in jail. So Alice Nutter was one of the people implicated. She was like an outstanding citizen in the community. She was Catholic, but they took her in anyway. And I read something um, in my research. I can't quite remember what it was, but it was like something like, that the person was saying, like, I found it doubtful that Alice would skip church to eat stolen food in the shit tower. Like, it, it didn't <laughs> seem... So this was potentially one of the names that was like, oh, so-and-so, Alice was here earlier. Alice was here earlier, you see, but she left, you see. Lancashire Castle was an occupied prison until 2011. Ooh. So we gotta go. <laughs> uh, yes, adding that to the list immediately. Mm-hmm. So all of the witches accused, plus 12 additional people, were kept in the cell that was 20 feet by 12 feet. Yikes. So that's 20 people total. So I don't do math, but that's small. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's like the size of this room. Wow. Yeah. Super small. Probably. Well, maybe, maybe a little, a little longer in yeah. this room. And during that time, Elizabeth's mother did die. Oh, one she was being held in prison. Grandma, probably because of the yeah, grandma probably because of the shitty ass conditions. Think how bad that room would have smelled oh, girl, in sixteen twelve. You, know, you got mm-mm. everything smelled bad in sixteen twelve. Twenty by everything. twelve. Everything. Uh uh. So there is no documentation of where Janet did stay during uh, the time that her family was in prison. Um, so that's kind of up for grabs. Um, but we are going to skip until uh, we are going to skip ahead to August 18th, 1612 in the Lancashire courtroom where two judges and a jury sat waiting for the trial. At the time, there was a 75 percent acquittal rate for witchcraft charges. Wow, that's high. It is high. So Allison stood before the court and admitted her role. You okay. Know, she was the one that did this to this man. Um, she felt such guilt, and she really honestly believed that she had caused that man to die. Uh, Elizabeth was pissed, and she was adamant that she was innocent. She screamed and pleaded her innocence. And then the prosecution called their star witness. Do you have any guesses? Is it Janet? It is Janet baby janet so janet who's elizabeth's daughter emerged from the back of the courthouse elizabeth was pleading with her daughter to help her and to save her she was being so disruptive elizabeth was that they ended up taking her out of the courtroom i feel like it's really unfair to and of course now it's not legal but it would be so unfair to ask a child to you know say anything against their mom like how hard yeah and sister and community the only people they know yeah oh i hope janet does the right thing you're giving me a face i don't like it so once her mother was taken away janet climbed on top of the table in the courtroom and stated quote my mother is a witch that i know to be true I have seen her spirit in the likeness of a brown dog. End quote. I was rooting for Janet. Yeah. She stated that on Good Friday, 20 people arrived to their house around noon and that Elizabeth had told her that they were all witches. 
She described the food that they ate and told, you know, who was present at the event. So next person to be called is James, which is the younger brother. Is James... Okay, continue. He also stated that this was true. He said that four skulls had been stolen from the nearby graveyard and teeth were removed from them. So there were skulls in the home that he knew about. He was then able to provide the teeth. He was able or he was unable? He, He was. He was able to provide the teeth, which had been found at the home, buried in the ground with one of those clay figures. I mean, it's not looking promising. Mm hmm. But I still... Yeah, and so all of that was found by the constable or law enforcement or whatever. That sounds like hard evidence of something. Yeah. And in a really scary turn of events, Janet then turns on her brother. No, Janet! I know, Janet's the worst! I thought Janet was going to be the hero of the story. So she stated that James had been a witch for three years and that his spirit had killed three people. She recited charms that she had heard her brother use over time. Ten people were convicted that day. Oh, my goodness. All of Janet's family and most of their neighbors were found guilty. (gasps) They were all brought to Gallows Hill. Oh. They were all given an opportunity to say a last confession. And Elizabeth never confessed. Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. So they all did die by hanging. And Gallows Hill is now a park for children. (laughs) (laughs) Like Janet. Like Janet. Um, So did Janet know what she was doing? Had she been groomed by a member of the court while her family was in prison? Or was she a cold-hearted biatch? Wow, that was a powerful story. Yeah. Thank the gods we're not living in 1612. Oh, I cannot. I cannot. Can you imagine? No, I cannot. I don't want to. (laughs) You and I enjoy tarot card readings and crystals and like, uh, Tara Blue would be closed. Everything good would be closed. Everything you love (laughs) would not exist. Okay. Uh, You would be sitting in the dark. You'd have to shit into a pot and then you'd have to, like, go and forage mushrooms in the wild. Do you want that? I do not, in fact. <laughs> that is not in the top list of things that I would like to be doing. So it is interesting. And I, you know, I've wanted to do some type of, of witch trial, you know, to cover it. And I know that Salem is, like, normally one that people cover. But this one I hadn't heard of. And so it was very appealing to me. Oh, I loved it. Um and I, you and I are both so fascinated by the Salem Witch Trials, and I think that's one of the things we originally bonded over way back, and long, long time ago's days. I am sure I will cover that. Speaking of Salem and all things witchy and creepy, it just reminds me of early on in our friendship when we would go to Old Salem. Oh, yes. So, and we went there, like, kind of recently. Yeah. And, but, okay, so it is so... There is a, a college. It's a women's college. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have a beautiful graveyard that... It's also supposed to be super, super haunted. Yeah, Soup Dupes Haunted. We've been going there for a really long time. And I've and actually never seen a student there. Oh, my God. No, nobody goes there. I know. Like, literally, how many times have we been there? So many times. And I don't know a single person who actually graduated from Salem College. I know a few people who went and transferred. Yeah, but have never graduated. Well, I know one person. Oh, okay. So there goes, you know, the theory that they don't exist. But, I mean, you would show up there. Granted, it would be, like, you know, dark, because, like, that's the Mm -hmm. time you go to a graveyard. But, um, yeah, there was never anybody walking around. Nothing. But we took... A friend. A friend, and then Ray... Oh, 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 I was, I thought you were about to tell the story of taking the loose acquaintance that we both know, (laughs) (laughs) which is an interesting intersection because when we're thinking about Salem, 
like the Salem witch trials and your witch trial and fortune telling. Yes. And then old Salem. So backstory on this particular friend. So I was in a Rocky Horror Picture Show shadow cast for five years. Which was incredible and so much fun. Super great. Loved it so much. So one of the castmates that I had that I would only like really see like once a, a month. month. Yeah. Um, decided he was coming with us to Salem. Continue. Yeah. So this might be the loosest intersection that we found <laughs> yet. But um, he was really into spiritualism. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he identifies as a witch. Yeah, Maybe? a pagan. Something, yeah. Pagan? That I sounds right. I'm not sure. Um, to be determined. And he uh, brought with him his spirit guide, mm-hmm. who happened to be a dog mm-hmm. wolf. <gasps> I think. The brown dog. The brown dog. <gasps> the brown dog. There's an intersection for you. There we go. Um, it was just the most fascinating experience. It was, it was very interesting. Like... Mm-hmm we would walk by and he would tell us what his spirit guide was thinking or Uh how his spirit guide felt. Yes. It was wild. It was wild. And it was a lot for somebody you don't really know that well. (laughs) It was a lot. It was like a a lot for a first hangout. I would say. Yeah. I've also taken someone on a first date to that graveyard. um, Because (laughs) the first date was fun. If you want to know how creepy or compatibly witchy someone uh, right. is, oh, yeah. it take is them good, to a cemetery. I Exactly. Like, how into it are you? Although, the story I was thinking of is when we took Ray and your ex to to the graveyard. Yes. And they were, like, super <laughs> uncomfortable. <laughs> they were so... We did not prepare them adequately. We also went at night. I think it just is a thing that you and I both enjoy so much. And we wanted to share it with people that we really care about Mm -hmm. and continue to want to share with people um but yeah cemeteries are fascinating they are so let's talk about intersection well i think we pointed out some interesting intersections along the way like yeah you know especially with the future telling or like the mind reading believing that you can control something about the future right obviously janet could well Janet clearly controlled the future for her family. Mm-hmm. Which, and yikes. also, so I don't know that she necessarily understood the implications of her words because she was nine. Right. Um, and also, I think you made a great point. Like, had someone prepped her or maybe, like, told her what to say or even threatened her if she oh, didn't say a certain thing? Well, where the hell was she living for all those months? Exactly. You yeah. know, she's got somebody in her ear being like, it's like Brendan Dassey. Who? From making a murderer. Oh, yep. You know, it's like you're planting seeds. You're leading somebody to give you answers that you're looking for. Oh, absolutely. You know, so like what kind of spells did they say? Like that's a leading question. Yeah, it is. So, which is a lot of what happens in fortune telling is you lead people to believe whatever it is you're telling them. Mm-hmm. Um, or even... Like, the questions I ask you might impact someone else's understanding of a situation. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they had a jury in the way that we had a jury. I don't know if you're... Like, in 1612, what were the laws of the courtroom? Sure. I mean, there was a a judge and a jury. Let me check my notes. I'm certain there was a judge. And I guess... Two judges and a jury. Two judges. Two judges. Oh, fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so asking leading questions or whatever else, hearing it from a kid who otherwise you would assume to be telling the truth. Sure. I mean, So yeah. pure. I mean, so. and also intuition too. Like children, oh, right. children are really uh, open to energies and, um, you know, th- they have abilities that sometimes people grow out of as they get older. Right. Well, and thinking about the judges as well, like what, um, oh, what's the bias? Confirmation. Confirmation bias, yeah. Like if the judges are already expecting to find these people to be witches, Mm -hmm. would it have really mattered what Janet said? That is very true. Although at the time... Oh, you did say there was a 75% acquittal. Yeah, so the, the likelihood of them, I think her testimony was what tipped them over the edge because ordinarily that's also fair. they've got a confession from allison right so it's not looking good regardless 
poor Allison. I think she's really the victim in all this. You, I mean... Also James. Poor James. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but Allison and James, being children, I think it's especially tragic. Mm-hmm. And feeling like you caused someone else to have a stroke. Yeah. I, like, that is traumatic. Yeah. And, and obviously she was feeling remorseful. Um, right. I wonder if they thought that if she thought that they would take pity on her because they have to know that witchcraft death is on the table. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's hard to say. I can't think of or can you think of any other intersections that we need to talk about? Because I feel like we covered a few of them throughout. Yeah. I think we're good. Okay. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, if you have not left us a review on Apple Podcasts, please do so. Also head over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash podcast without an audience to support us so we can keep creating content for you guys. We've looked into the future and determined that you are going to leave us the best review. <laughs> um, so clever and So funny. that we can send you stickers. That's right. We already know your address. <laughs> so we saw it in the crystal ball. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening. If you support us, blink twice. And if you're out there, keep listening. Thank you for listening to Podcast Without an Audience. Find us on social media at Pod Without an Odd. You can find us on Instagram or Facebook. Or find us on the web at podcastwithoutanaudience.com. Shoot us an email at podwithoutanodd at gmail.com. Our cover art is created by an actual angel, Ashley Acevedo. Our music is by Zach Smith and Ted Oliver. Editing by Jacob Beeson. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and all of our nerdy content. Please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us today. Oh, and check out our Patreon for exclusive content and our pasta recipe. Again, thanks, and keep listening.